today we're in part three of our series called Better. And the subtitle of this series is How to Have Better Relationships. Because the reality for all of us is we have relationships no matter where we go. We have relationships at home, at school, at work, at church. There's not a place that we can't go where we don't have a relationship with somebody else. It might be a temporary, short-term relationship. It may be a long-term relationship, but we have relationships everywhere. And some of those relationships are good. Some of those relationships are great. Some of those relationships aren't so great. And we're all in some relationships that we wish were better. And how many of you would say that you have ever been in a relationship that you wished was better? Okay, again, I asked that question last week, and I think it applies to all of us. If you're not in one of those relationships now, just wait. You might have one coming around the corner that you wished was better. So what we've been doing in this series is looking at some of the closest relationships that we can have and how to make those relationships better. Two weeks ago, we looked at dating relationships Last week, we looked at marriage relationships. And if you missed either one of those messages, I strongly encourage you to go to our website, theepicchurch.com, go to our iTunes account and listen to those messages. All of our messages are archived in those two places. And if you ever miss one, you can go and listen to it. And I think the information in those messages can be super valuable, super beneficial for all of us, whether you need that information or somebody else does. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how to have better family relationships. And I know that um, none of you are going to need that information because, you know, none of you have family dysfunction or, you know, know, strain in your family relationships. There's probably only five of us that are going to benefit from that. But we all need to learn how to have better family relationships. Today, we're going to talk about how to have better friendships. This is one of those subjects that we often put low on the priority list. And we think, ah, better friendships. Yeah, you know, do we really need that? I mean, I don't know that I really need that. But we're going to learn today how valuable friendships can be and how valuable they are for helping us become more like Jesus. We need friends in our lives if we want to become all that God has for us. So as we begin, I would like you to do me a favor. Pull out your smartphone for a second, and I'd like you to pull up one of your social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and shout out the number of friends or followers you have on that social media account. All right, go ahead. 300? David, are you, Dave, are you holding up a big zero? A zero, and he's proud of it. He's like, I don't do social media. I don't have any friends in that context. Somebody in the second service said the same thing. All right, 300 we heard. What else? 425? 333? 1,000? Somebody in the first service said 2,000. Um, somebody later said it was way more than that. And they said, yeah, it's my business account. I'm like, wow, that, there's a whole lot out there. Um, so my uh, Facebook account tells me I have 749 friends. Not fully convinced of that because I think some of them are duplicates. You know, I get the, the, the same request from people all the time. I'm like, I don't think you're the same person. Somebody else is out there faking that thing. But now I want you to do something else. I'd like you to go through a mental list quickly and identify how many close friends you have. Three. Three. And you don't have to tell me, but you know, thank you. <laughs> but how many like really close friends Four. do you have? Four, zero, few, zero. Yeah. So 
I think you notice those two numbers are different, right? And we understand it's expected to be so. We know that we can't be super great friends with over 700 people. Like we get that, we understand that. But I think the reality for many of us today is we don't have very close friendships. How many of you struggle to identify 10? How many of you struggle to identify five? There's a number of us that that struggle with that. And and I think the reality for us is a sad reality. We don't have really close friendships today. We live in a world where we can have thousands of followers, thousands of friends on social media all over the place, and yet we can be so relationally disconnected where we don't know anybody and nobody really knows us. So we live in a deprived friendship environment, it seems like. And we got to learn how to have better friendships. So we're going to learn that today. We're going to look at four biblical truths for how to have better friendships. And God has surprisingly a lot to say about friendships in Scripture. Much of what he has to say comes out of the book of Proverbs. So that's where we're going to spend some time today in the book of Proverbs, but we're going to be drawn from some other sources as well. So the first truth that we're going to look at is found in Proverbs 18.24. So I want you to listen to how the King James Version translates this, okay? It says, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. So the first truth for building better friendships is if we want to have friends, we've got to learn how to be a friend. And I know that that sounds like I'm Captain Obvious this morning. Like, yeah, like we get that. But is that really obvious? Like, do we really understand that? It seems like in our struggle with friendship, sometimes we don't really understand the investments that we have to make. Sometimes we want other people to do for us what we are not willing to do for them. And we forget that friendships don't just happen. They don't just stay great friendships over time. We have to invest in them. We have to build them. We have to navigate the complexities that life can throw at friendships. And so to learn some of that, to learn how to be a better friend, we're going to look at an Old Testament example of that. And this is probably the best friendship example out of Scripture, or at least out of the Old Testament. It's the the story of David and Jonathan. So if you know the story of David and Goliath, the little David who was a shepherd boy who beat Goliath in battle, that's the David that we're talking about. He grew up and became the second king of the nation of Israel, and he became best friends with the first king's son. So the first king was Saul, and his son was Jonathan. So listen to how they met. 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them for David, or Jonathan loved David. Now, how many of you would say that you've ever met somebody and had like an immediate bond with them, like an immediate connection? Like you didn't have to like work on it, like it just happened. So there's a number of hands that have gone up for that. And that is kind of a rare thing that happens. And it's a special thing. It's something to be valued. That's a relationship to be treasured. But even with those relationships, they need maintenance. They need building. They need investment to maintain that kind of friendship. So listen to verse 3. It says, and Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David. 
together with his tunic, sword, bow, and his belt. Now, there's some debate about the significance of what Jonathan did here in this moment. But it appears that this action by Jonathan goes beyond him just making a pinky promise to be David's best buddy the rest of his life. It appears that he went to the level of saying, listen, David, I am going to give you my position. I'm going to give you my kingdom. I'm going to give you my future. So he knew that his dad wasn't doing a very good job as a king. He knew that God was displeased with King Saul. He knew that God had anointed David to be the next king. So imagine if, if you are Jonathan, okay? How would you be feeling in that moment? How would you feel as you realize God looked beyond you to somebody else to be the next king? Now, Jonathan was a great man, a man of integrity, a man of character. He didn't follow the example of his dad. He was a great guy. He might have made a great king, and yet God didn't pick him. So imagine being Jonathan. Like, would you be super excited for David? Would you be super excited to step aside and let David have the kingdom? The reality for Jonathan is he would then spend the rest of his life either in David's shadow or he would be killed by David or one of David's government officials. It was a common practice in that day. When a new king took over the kingdom, if he wasn't a part of the previous kingdom's family lineage, he would kill everybody in that family so nobody could come back and overthrow his kingdom. That really could have happened for Jonathan. But that didn't matter to Jonathan. His friendship with David was priority in his life. He said, listen, like I understand God has anointed you as the next king, and I'm not going to stand in the way of that happening. Jonathan was so excited for David, and he confirmed it with a pact, and he basically gave him his future. Now, I'm thinking that Jonathan must have had a pretty amazing mom, because he certainly didn't learn this from his dad. So watch how King Saul interacted with David. Verse 5 says, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander of the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. And when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, meaning Goliath, Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And verse 8 says, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul became so jealous of David that it consumed him. He spent the rest of his life trying to kill David because he did not want David to be his successor. So the second truth for us to learn how to build better friendships is this. True friends don't let jealousy or anything get in the way of their friendships. Again, I know that that should be an obvious thing, but I don't know that it's obvious to all of us. And it can be hard to 
pinpoint jealousy sometimes. It can be hard to battle jealousy in our lives because sometimes it ambushes us without us really knowing it. But true friends don't let jealousy or anything stand in the way of their friendships. I told you recently that uh, in a recent message that there are times that I battle with jealousy of other people. There are times that I battle with jealousy of some of my friends. There are moments when something great happens for one of my friends or God does something really cool in their lives. There are moments where I just feel like, like, man, that's so cool for them, but why me? Why not me? Like, I I want that cool thing too. So there are moments that I battle that jealousy and I don't like battling that. I don't like to admit that's in my life, so just keep that between us, okay? But there are moments that that's a real thing and I have to deal with it. And so there are several ways that I deal with jealousy when it tries to raise its head in my life. The first way is through confession. So I first confess that to God. I say, God, here I am in a moment of jealousy with this person. I need you to forgive me. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we come to God and confess that, God does his part, and he does the work of cleaning our lives, making us clean again. Sometimes what God does for me, what God has done for me, is he asks me to take it to the next level. Not only does God want me to confess to him, sometimes that's a little bit of the easier part. Sometimes God challenges me to make that confession to my friend that I'm jealous of. Imagine doing that. And so I've done that several times in my life, and there have been moments where God has said, now go confess to your friend. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I don't want to do that. They're going to think I'm crazy. Like That's really going to end our friendship if I do that. And yet I've done that on several occasions. One occasion, I had this friend in my life who's just amazing. I feel like God has put so many gifts in this person. It's just amazing. Like overstack them with all kinds of gifts that, you know, they're good in athletics, great in business, got a great sharp mind. They're tall, handsome. Uh, This guy's muscular and he has hair. I mean, do I need to say more? I mean, like he's got it all. And I found myself in a time in our friendship where I was jealous of him and I found myself stepping away from the friendship. And I had to confess that. So I confessed that to God, and God said, okay, now go confess it to your friend. So I took my friend to lunch for an awkward conversation. And at lunch, I said, "Um, hey, man, I got to just tell you something really awkward. I have been jealous of you, and I need you to forgive me. And my friend asked some questions like, have I done something wrong? Like, am I doing something wrong that I need to fix? My answer was no. You're not doing anything wrong. The person who needs to do do the work is me. And so I'm confessing this to you so I can bring it out in the light of God's truth and I can deal with it in my own life. My friend forgave me. I'm so grateful for that because I can honestly say today that I've not battled with jealousy of that friend since that conversation. So confession can often help us break the power of jealousy in our lives. Another thing that I try to do when I'm battling jealousy is I try to celebrate what God is doing in my friends. Just celebrate what God is doing. God is doing some amazing things in some of the people around me, and I need to learn to celebrate that. 
And so I ask myself, if God does something great in me, do I want my friends to celebrate with me or get jealous of me and pull away from me? I want my friends to celebrate with me. I don't want them to pull away from me. So if I want that from my friends, I got to learn to do that as well. So I try to celebrate anything and everything that God is doing in them. And as I do that again, it breaks the power of jealousy and sin and pride and insecurity and all that stuff in my life. So for you, are you a person who battles jealousy and pride and insecurity in some of your relationships? Are you allowing anything to stand between you and a true friendship that you can have? If so, God wants you to confess that. Confess that to him. Confess that possibly to that person. And then learn to celebrate that person. Okay, truth number one. If we want to have friends, we need to learn how to be a friend. Truth number two. True friends don't let jealousy or anything get in the way of their friendship. Truth number three, your friends will help determine the direction of your life. Your friends will help determine the direction and ultimately the destination of your life. So listen to what Proverbs 13 says about that. Verse 20, it says, walk with the wise and become, what's that next word? Wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and what? Get in trouble. Okay, so it sounds like some of you uh, understand that, that truth in, in that verse. How many of you know that from personal experience, that you know that that verse is true? Okay, a number of us know that. Um, if you didn't raise your hand, uh, good luck on that journey, because you know, it's a painful one sometimes to learn. Uh, I have uh, learned that truth on many occasions in my life, but here's one example. So when I was in high school, my parents went on a trip. They were gone for several weeks at one time, and they left me home with my older sister. She's like eight years older than me, and she was still living with us at the time. And at the time, I'm in high school. I could drive. I had hair. I was cool. I mean, I, I know. It's hard to imagine, but I was cool. And I'm thinking, I don't need to be babysat by anybody. I don't need my big sister to tell me what to do. And my friends convinced me that we could go and do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, because my parents were gone. Like, we didn't have a curfew. Like, we didn't have to be accountable to anybody. And they said, listen, your sister won't tell on you. I mean, that's like a bond between siblings, right? They don't tell on each other. And uh, they didn't know my sister. (laughs) So my sister told on me. And I had a conversation with my dad. My dad called me and said, son do I need to come home and help you make wiser decisions? And the answer was really, yeah, dad, because I'm not doing a really good job of that right now, but I certainly didn't want to say that. So no, dad, I got it. I got it. I got it. The reality for me was I needed to make wiser decisions. And part of that was learning to have wiser friends. Walk with the wise, become wise, spend time with fools and get in trouble. I've gotten in trouble a lot of times in my life simply because I didn't apply the truth of that verse. So when you think about your friendships, you think about the people that you've allowed to be like in that close inner circle of your life, would you say your friends are wise? Or would you say your friends are kind of foolish? Something to consider. And if you would say, you know what, my friends are kind of foolish, maybe you need to 
reconsider your friend group and consider making wiser friends. All right, truth number four. Truth number four is a real challenging truth, but it is a critical truth for great friendships. And it's found in Proverbs 27, six, which says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna, that verse, and I'm gonna shift it into this statement, this fourth truth statement for us. True friends speak truth and love to each other. True friends speak truth and love to each other. The reason this is so important is I think we live in a culture today where a lot of people love to tell us what we wanna hear or what they think we wanna hear. And then there's a whole nother group of people out there who love to tell us what they want us to hear, regardless of what they think we want to hear, or what we think we want to hear. But true friends don't do either of those things. True friends learn to walk the balance of speaking the truth in a loving way. Here's the reality. Truth without love is painful. And love without truth is deceptive. So we've got to learn how to speak truth in love. The classic example of this comes from David's life. So we're going to go back to, to King David and a friend that he had named Nathan, who God asked to speak truth to David in a part of his life when David had a real issue going on. So we're going to fast forward David's life. So he goes from being that shepherd boy, comes the second king of the nation of Israel, And a number of years later, he's established himself as the king and established Israel as this new kingdom, this new powerhouse in the Middle East. And at that time, he kind of gears back. He kind of gets into a comfort zone. And he doesn't go off to war when he should have been off at war. Instead, he stays home and thinks like, they got it. I've been to war all kinds of times. I can stay home. Take it easy this time. And as he did that, he found himself tempted with lust of another woman. And he chose to take another woman, another man's wife. And ultimately, if you don't know the story, he created a real mess. And to clean up the mess, he decided to have her husband killed. So God was very displeased with what David had done. So he sent Nathan. He said, Nathan, you gotta go confront David. So Nathan, you know, imagine being him you got to go confront the most powerful leader in the, the known world at that time. But Nathan did that. Nathan did that courageously. He went and he confronted David, and David listened. David repented. David was remorseful. David rebuilt what he had damaged. There were real consequences that David had to face. But the reason that David needed Nathan in his life, the reason that we need Nathan-type people in our lives is because we all have blind spots. We all have parts of our lives that we can't see, and we need other people to help us see them so we can become who God wants us to be. How many of you have recognized in your life that you have blind spots, spots that you can't see? I mean, I have a lot of blind spots, and you know, if I could get every, you know, every appendage up, I, I would try to get them all up. Um, We all have blind spots and we all need good friends who can speak truth to us about those blind spots and help us become more like Jesus. 
a few years ago, I had a friend ask me to participate in something that we were both involved in at a leadership level. And uh, as I processed that, I thought, you know what, there's going to be some challenges here because this other person had a very strong, harsh personality, loved to tell people what they wanted them to hear and would often damage relationships. And I wasn't so sure I wanted to be connected with that. So as I prayed about it and processed, I talked to them and said, listen, here's the deal. I will do this with you if you will guarantee that you'll listen to me in those moments where um, there's some blind spots that I need to speak to you about. And I'll give you permission to speak to me about things as well. So it'll be a fair exchange back and forth between us. But I'll only do it if, if we'll have this agreement. They said, yes, this is something I need in my life. I got to work on this. I got to get better at this. So yeah, that'd be great. It was great until that fateful day came when I needed to speak that truth. And they had hurt some people that we were working with. And so I stepped in to confront in as loving of a way as I knew how to do and said, listen, we can't avoid this issue. That's not love. I've got to talk to you about this issue. So here we are. Let's talk about what we got to fix. We had a long conversation, made a great plan for the next day of how we were going to do some damage control and rebuild some things with the people that we were working with. And they slept on it, came back the next day and said, listen, I've changed my mind. I don't want you to ever speak to me that way again. They drew a very clear boundary and said, I am not open anymore to hearing your truth spoken in love. And they drew such a clear boundary that I knew, okay, so I'm going to step back from that and we'll finish this project together. And after that, I'm not going to re-engage that with you because of how you have put that boundary there and you're not willing to listen to other people. That person has left a wake of broken relationships behind them wherever they go simply because they won't let anybody speak truth to them. Hopefully we're not like that. And I wish that I could say I've never been like that. I wish I could say that, but that's not true. Many years ago in my life, a friend came to speak truth to me because there was a blind spot I was dealing with. And that friend was courageous and said, hey, I need to point something out in your life. And being the super spiritual guy that I was and am, like I ran from that, not for nine weeks, not for nine months, for nine years. For nine years, I ran from that issue. I denied it, I ignored it, I rejected it. I played this wonderful game that I like called hide and blame. So I'd hide from it and blame other people instead of taking responsibility for it in my own life until I got so tired of doing that. I took off my running shoes and put on my work shoes and began the work of addressing the issue that my friend had told me about. I'm so glad for that friend. You know, we all need friends like that. That friend is still in my life. That friend still speaks truth and love to me. And I am so grateful for that because they have helped me become a little bit more like Jesus every time they point out something that I have to work on in my life. So we all need those kind of relationships. So when you think about your life, do you need to learn how to speak truth and love to other people? Maybe you need to learn how to hear truth and love from other people. I've found that people who have no problem speaking truth often have a problem hearing truth. People that have typically no problem hearing truth often struggle 
with speaking truth. So which might be your struggle? Do you need to work on speaking truth in love? Or do you need to work on hearing truth in love? Now, as we close, I'm going to go back through our four truths. They're going to come up on the screen for us. And what I'd like you to do is I'm going to walk through these truths. And as a truth stands out to you that you need to work on with your friends, like latch onto that truth and have a conversation with God about that truth and what you need to do with it this week. So maybe you need to, to work on learning how to be a friend. Like maybe that's like your, your biggest struggle. Maybe you haven't been a great friend and you need to learn how to be a really good friend, how to pursue the right kind of relationships, how to make the right kind of investments in those relationships. Maybe you need to learn how to be a friend or, or maybe you've allowed an issue to come between you and another friend. Maybe there's a, a relationship, a good friendship that you had at one point and that relationship is broken simply because you let something come in or they let something come in between the two of you. Maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it was competition, maybe it's whatever. But have you allowed something to come between you and someone who can help you become more like Jesus? If so, confess that thing. Confess that to God, possibly confess that to them. Learn to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. Maybe you need to evaluate your current friendships. Maybe if you were honest, you would say, you know what, as I look around at the closest people around me, I can't say that that's a wise group of people. Maybe you, you would recognize that maybe you've been spending time with foolish people and you understand where that's gonna continue to lead you. So maybe today you need to make a determination that you've got to build some better friendships, invite some wiser people into your closer circles. One way that you can do that is get into one of our community groups. Again, Tim's talked about that this morning. On your way out, you can stop by our community group table and you can sign up for a men's group, a women's group, a couples group, and you can find some possible relationships with other people who are willing to speak truth and love to you and give you the chance to do that to them as well. So maybe you need to work on speaking the truth. Maybe you need to work on hearing the truth. I'm not sure what you may need to work on, but whatever that thing is, hold on to that. Talk to God about your action plan, what you need to start doing this week to build better friendships. So in just a minute, our worship team is going to come out and they're going to close us in a final song about God's unfailing love for us. And as we're singing this, I want you to reflect on the love that God gives us is the love that we need to give other people, is the love that we need to give to our friendships. Like Our love should not fail our friendships. And so if you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together and have a conversation with God about the thing that you need to do as a result of today's message. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the abundance of information that you've given us in Scripture about how to have better relationships Lord, you've spoken so much in Scripture about how to interact with other people, how to interact in our marriages, and how to interact in our families, how to interact in our, our friendships. And, and Lord, so often we just put friendship at a, a low priority level in our lives. And yet, God, I think you want us to have them at a high priority level. You want us to invest in the right kind of friendships because you know those friendships can help determine the direction and the destination that we end up in our lives. 
So Lord, today for us, like, what is that thing? What's that one thing that we need to work on in our lives? Is it to learn how to be a better friend? Lord, is it to, to learn how to uh, pursue the right kind of people in our lives? Is it to learn how to speak truth? Is it to learn how to listen to truth? Lord, I, I pray that, that we would latch on to one clear thing that we can do this week to build better friendships. Lord, thank you as we sing about your unfailing love for us and how we can learn from that love and how we can take that love and we can pass it on to other people around us. Lord, may our love be unfailing for our friends just like your love is unfailing for us. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen.